the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. You've been hearing about it for days. The federal election campaign officially got underway on Wednesday with vote day set for October 21st. Have you had your say yet in our Zoomer primary at zoomervote.ca? Every Monday, Fight Back checks in with Peter Muggridge, senior editor of Zoomer magazine, and David Kravitz, vice president of Zoomer Media, to see how the federal leaders are faring. This was Libby Snymer's conversation with them this past Monday when the Liberals had 39% support, with the Conservatives at 35%. Well, we see... Um Really a static situation, minor slippage, well within the margin of error, if there is any slippage for the liberals, half a point, one point. And we see the same trend that their vote is much more efficient than the conservatives. Uh, they get more seats out of the same number of votes. Um, there is some uh, interest in the McLean's 338 poll, which shows that more of their um, support, uh, they have less support in safe seats. The conservatives are, have more seats that are safe, and the liberals have more that are likely or leaning or swing seats. So my position is, as it was before, we're post-Labor Day now. We have an election in Manitoba this week. We have uh, the first of the debates kicking and the real action is about to get underway. And now we're going to see swings if there are any to come. Peter, uh, a lot of people expected the writ to drop on Sunday. Uh, hurricane mm-hmm. in the Atlantic provinces got in the way of that. But we still, uh, Jagmeet Singh was going to kick off his campaign there. He postponed that. He did start here in Toronto today. Uh, and the NDP, you know, especially in our Zoomer primary, looked like it was going to be uh, obliterated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're up slightly to three and a half percent. But um, they, they have their they have problems getting candidates out. They have problems losing candidates to the Green Party in uh, New Brunswick. Um I thought uh, Singh's ad in Quebec where he uh, he actually showed himself boxing. I, I, I thought that was a good ad. You know, he he took on the turban issue head on. He, you know, he uh, he started with the long hair right, and, then he and he wrapped, ra- the and he wrapped it up. Yeah. And uh, I, I thought that was a good ad. And, you know, Quebec is such a, a minefield of, of uh, you know, religious symbols and, and that sort of thing. And he's facing it head on. And um you know he's not apologizing for it. So I, I, I thought I thought Jagmeet did well in in the in the last week. Do you agree? I think I think he's doing well to the extent that he can. Remember in Quebec, he's trying to defend a blip, uh, a pro NDP blip that isn't the norm anyway. So he's probably got inflated uh, results from the past that can't possibly be sustained. But I do think I share with uh, Peter a concern if I was the NDP, will the Greens stay green uh, or will they in the end say it's so important to uh, get the NDP more seats? And I think that the better the liberals do, the worse it is for the NDP and the better it is for the Greens because then the Green voters are going to say, well, you know, I don't have any reason to pump up the NDP uh, total because Trudeau's doing okay anyway, and presumably for the Greens, Sheer is a bigger enemy than Trudeau. 
David, in the in the last election and past elections, soft NDP, NDP support went liberal. Do you think it yes. will go green this time, or, or is it going to find its home in the Liberal Party again? Well, I, I, I wouldn't say it will go green, except for the fact that I'm seeing strong results for the Greens in the poll. So if you're a, a what, progressive what, on that side— How did the Greens do in the Zoomer vote? They're beating the NDP more than double. Uh, what are we looking for this week uh, until we meet again? Well, in the immortal words of Harold Macmillan, once Prime Minister of England, uh, when asked what drives everything, he said, events, dear boy, events. <laughs> so I'm going to quote him and say, we've got the Manitoba election. We've got what if the teachers go on strike in Ontario? Uh, they're playing that card against Doug Ford now to get him to soften up because he knows that a strike would hurt him. And thus, Andrew Shear might be phoning Doug Ford saying, you better give the teachers what they want. There's lots of stuff in or it play. Or help them, alternatively. It could help them, right? It could help yeah. them, but there's a yeah. lot of things that are in play. I think we need to see these things. We will get a result of that McLean's uh, debate. We will see whether it mattered that Trudeau showed up. We're going to have didn't a lot. Show up. Didn't lot, show up. Didn't show up. Uh, we're going to have a lot more to work with, and I think that's where you're going to start to see these numbers move. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are, are, are the leaders going to hammer Trudeau when he's not there? Or like, it, like it, it could I, be. I would hope so. It could be just like a, you know, they, they all gang up on him and, and just you know, make mincemeat of him without him being there to defend himself. You, you can know? count on it. Yeah. <laughs> you can count on it. David Kravitz, vice president of Zoomer Media, and Peter Muggridge, senior editor of Zoomer Magazine. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Can third place NDP leader Jagmeet Singh come back to become prime minister? This is among the topics our Tuesday strategy panel talked about during their conversation this past week. Libby was joined by Charles Bird, managing principal of Earnscliffe Strategy Group in Toronto. John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Kim Wright, principal Wright Strategies. Jagmeet had a phenomenal campaign launch on uh, Sunday evening in uh, Toronto Danforth, which is, as, as your listeners will remember, the home of Jack Layton. Uh, so it was a bit of a wink and a nod and a, and a you know, nod to, to the legacy that is the Layton legacy uh, with Olivia Chow and Mike Layton. Uh, opening up uh, the event. There were over 800 people. In fact, the overflow rooms had overflow rooms had overflow rooms. It was uh, it was remarkable. Uh, people are excited about what he what he's doing. And if you remember back to four years ago, Prime Minister Trudeau, now Prime Minister Trudeau, was a very, very distant third. People were calling for his head. We can't win without him. Uh, you know, fast forward to a campaign where Tom Mulcair was supposed to have won and he didn't bothered to show up to some some uh, some debates, didn't want to be seen as uh, as taking it on the chin or being uh, any way accountable. And, uh, you know, the results were what the results were. I think now, you know, for any sports fans out there, we've seen the preseason, we've seen the regular season. Now with the drawing up of the, the Ritz later this week, it's playoff time. Let's go Jigmeet. Okay, uh, John Capobianco, <laughs> is that a wishful scenario? That was a valiant effort from my good friend, Kim. I got to tell you, she is absolutely amazing and, and, and the NDP are lucky to have her. Um, but the reality of it is this. 
um, and campaigns do matter. So, you know, at the end of the day, campaigns matter. And, and Kim was absolutely right to say that, that Justin Trudeau did come from third place to, to win. And at the time, Tom Mulcair was, everybody was thinking, even the media, that he might have been the next, the next prime minister at the time. Um, so the campaigns do matter from that perspective. But I thought, I found it suspect that, that Jagmeet would start a, a campaign launch in one of the safest NDP writings in all of Canada, uh, quite frankly. I think it would have been probably better for him and more of a challenge for him to do it in a writing that or an area or a province that he was that was going to be a bit of a battle for him and, and to make us to put a stake in the ground. But nonetheless, um, I, th- I think that the issue here is um, people just haven't really been attracted to Jagmeet over the course of the last little while. Um, you know, even the time when he was a leader and didn't have a seat in the house. And then when he got a seat in the house, he just hasn't picked up people's imagination. And then it's, it's reflective in the polls. Whether or not he can change that in a 30 odd day campaign uh, is yet to be seen. But I think that what's happening now is you're seeing the Greens uh, are overtaking the NDP. And that's going to be troubling for the NDP from an existential perspective, if that's the case, so if the election happens and the Greens actually get more seats than the NDP. Charles Bird, let's bring you into the conversation. Numbers looking very good, uh, along with momentum for the Liberals. Does it matter that Justin Trudeau is not participating in the first debate? Um, does that make him look like he's afraid? Um, I think more people will be aware that he's not participating than will actually watch the debate. Um, I, I suspect the audience for that against Thursday night NFL football will be uh, pretty minuscule. Um, but frankly, no, I don't think that's uh, that's a that's a big criteria. I think you know as long as he is willing to be in at least two or three debates in both official languages, he should be fine. It should give an opportunity for people to hear the different views that are being expressed by the various party leaders, all five of them going into this campaign. And just hearkening back to your previous question. Five of them. Oh, yeah. Well, you have Elizabeth, you have Jagmeet, you have Justin, you have Andrew, and you have uh, Maxime. But Maxime's not but being Maxime's allowed into it. not an, being there. But, he's uh, not being allowed into any debates. But his voice will ring loudly throughout the debates, I have no doubt, <laughs> given uh, that his party is actually coming on a little bit in the polls, which, uh, which I think some people might find concerning. What do we need to watch for in the coming week, starting with John? Where the leaders start their campaigns effectively, where the, which province are going to be in, what their key message is right off the bat are things that you should be watching for. Charles? Right now, the numbers are very, very close in terms of national polling averages, but the vote efficiency does favor the Liberals at the moment. And that's why you're hearing so much talk about the possibility of the Liberals recapturing another majority government. It's early days. It's way too early to tell. We've all been through campaigns. We know better than to make any sort of predictions without the the hustle and bustle Mm -hmm. of the campaign actually taking place. But those are the things to watch for. Okay. And Kim, for the next week. There is so much time left. There is so much opportunity over the next 41 days uh, for Canadians to get to know each of the party leaders and to see how they respond to the intangibles that always come up during a campaign and and how they really react to Canadians, but also how they react to the media and to and to the scrutiny that they'll be under. No one asked them to put their names on this ballot. They chose to do that. There is a scrutiny that comes with that. And we'll see how they respond. If you're going to be a G7 leader, you better be able to show up. 
Kim Wright, Principal of Wright Strategies, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto, John Capobianco, Senior VP and Senior Partner at Fleischmann Hillard High Road, our Tuesday strategy panel. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Toronto police are warning us about the latest phone scam, which targets the elderly and particularly vulnerable. This one seems to be focusing on older residents in the Ronsonvale's area. Police say on September 5th, a woman phoned an elderly couple claiming to be a police officer. She addressed them in Polish, their mother tongue, and told them to leave their money and jewelry in a bag outside their home, claiming this would assist the police in capturing violent criminals about to engage in a criminal act. The couple complied, unfortunately, and everything was stolen. Joining Libby Snymer to discuss, Shale Eisen, partner barrister and solicitor at Eisen Law Firm, and Jason Peddle, Vulnerable Persons Coordinator at Toronto Police Service. Real police officers are not going to use the public as as bait, so to speak, in a, in a trap to catch criminals. Um, officer, police officers aren't going to call you up and use... Any any threatening language to try to get you to um, to pay debts online or anything like that, and and also they're not going to use you as a, as a part of um, their investigative techniques or their um, you know crime fighting techniques. It's not safe for the public. We're not going to put you in that position ever. And Shale Eisen, uh, you know, uh, just in general, with any type of permutation of a scam, real authorities are not going to be contacting you on the phone. No, that's 100%, Libby. If you are in receipt of an email or a telephone call or uh, some sort of electronic uh, text uh, from a bank or a government agency uh, pertaining or pretending to be someone, uh, the answer is uh, delete it, disconnect it, hang up, have nothing to do with it. They, real authorities under no circumstances will ever approach anyone in that matter. And uh, you're a lawyer, Shale. What are you able to do for people who've been defrauded? Well, uh, there are two sets of scams. One is the one that we've had here where you have a complete stranger uh, who uh, pretends to be someone. And that's very hard to do anything about because nine times out of ten, the person is gone. Uh, the whatever they left has been fenced or stolen or uh, sold, and you're out of luck. Unfortunately, uh, and it is much more, I think it's much more prevalent. You have family members or friends who uh, pretend to have your best interests at heart. Uh, they get you to sign powers of attorney or real estate documents or joint bank accounts, and uh, next thing you know, you wake up and you're uh, totally without any money or funds. There, you can hire a lawyer like myself or someone else who can, if the funds or the objects are still around, not always, but sometimes, get it back. The, the one piece of advice I always like to, um, to leave when I'm, when I'm speaking with seniors, I always say if my, if my presentation was 30 seconds long, it would be this. If you do receive a call from your bank or a police officer or anybody whom, and you do give some credence to the call, you think there may be something to it, don't respond to that call. Don't respond to phone numbers or information that they provide you with. If it's something that you think you want to follow up with, you hang, thank you very much. You hang up the phone. You find the information yourself. 
for the institution that you're going to be calling, if it's a police station or if it's your, your bank, you find that information yourself, that contact information, and you call and inquire as to whether they are actually looking for you. That's very good advice. And Shale? Be not suspicious, but vigilant of anyone, uh, family or friend or stranger, who uh, appears to be uh, uh, taking some strong interest in your financial affairs. That's uh, that's a, an epidemic that has just overwhelmed the uh, my, my practice in the last 20 years. Shale Eisen, partner barrister and solicitor at Eisen Law Firm, and Jason Peddle, Vulnerable Persons Coordinator at Toronto Police Service. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. She's the pride of the entire nation, Bianca Andreescu, Canada's first Grand Slam champion who won the U.S. Open final against Serena Williams. The 19-year-old from Mississauga, along with some other very talented tennis players, are the products of an excellent system of improving professional tennis in this country. The strategy was put in place back in 2005 by members of Tennis Canada, and it worked. Libby spoke with Roger Martin, past chair of Tennis Canada and professor emeritus at the Rotman School of Management at University of Toronto, who believes there is a lesson in this for all other Canadian organizations. The lesson, at least for, for, for me, of, of this is even if you are severely disadvantaged, which Canada was in tennis, because we're cold, we don't have many year-round uh, tennis courts, we didn't have good economics. We were in debt, deeply in in debt, uh, with no real uh, tradition of excellence. Even with that, you can make wonderful things happen if you commit to a high uh, high goal and then make distinctive choices. The thing that too many Canadian organizations do is imagine that they can compete with stronger players, more well-financed players from bigger countries by doing what they do, you can't. You've got to do something different or you'll just be an also-ran. And that, I think, is, is the lesson. Figure out a different way to deploy your resources uh, in order to have a chance to win in a different way because you can't win, uh, I think, as Canada, the same way against bigger, stronger Opponents. In terms of Tennis Canada, uh, one of the first things that was done was that you hired, I hate to use the word world class, but we'll use it anyway, a coach for very young players, which had never been done before. And lo and behold, all these years later, these tiny little young players are now, they're the group that we're watching doing amazing things. Yeah, we deployed them in a different way than anybody else in the world deployed a Bob Red. In fact, I remember the first time uh, when we played morning tennis and talking about this Bianca girl who he said, boy, does she ever have a, he- a head on her shoulders? Like he was already impressed and maybe she was a nine or 10 year old at the time, maybe even younger. I can't remember for sure. And so most players don't get the chance to have somebody that good, that prominent, who's used to coaching Grand Slam adult players and champions like Boris Becker, helping them get their game in a development path that would take them to top 10. But we didn't adopt the French system, right, which is entirely, entirely controlling. 
you come to the French Federation and they absolutely control everything within it. We also didn't adopt the American system, which was, as you can well imagine, laissez-faire, let a thousand flowers bloom, and when somebody gets to be great, you shower them with money. We didn't do either. We said we need to have a different sort of hybrid, which is to set standards of performance, output the standard, and say, if you can achieve these outputs with your own coach, you can do that. Or we'll host you at the National Tennis Center and you'll be coached by uh, our coaches. Uh, so we showed a combination of the kind of inflexibility on the path they needed to be on and flexibility on the how. So these are the sorts of things that we did differently. And at the time, you know, we got lots of criticism for what you always do for not doing it the quote right way. No, we did it. We did it. <laughs> you did it. You we did, did it our own way. You did it your way. This type of way of doing things can be applied to any kind of organization, advice to other organizations in different spheres, whether spheres, whether it's health or something else or the arts, what should they do based on uh, this success? Have a strategy uh, to win and test your choices for uniqueness. If you have a strategy to win doing the same things as others, you are deluding yourself. If a strategy to win that involves making distinctive choices, you have got a shot. Go do it. That would be my advice. Roger Martin, past chair of Tennis Canada and professor emeritus at the Rotman School of Management at U of T. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Colin from Toronto phoned to say why he thinks Liberal leader Justin Trudeau did not take part in the first televised election debate. There's really two major issues about why Justin Trudeau uh, is not attending. He's afraid to be confronted about not having the budget balanced in 2019, which means eliminating the annual deficit. That's what that means. He hasn't done that. And uh, everybody knows the carbon tax on fuels does not reduce greenhouse gases that they emit. Every time the carbon tax question is put on a liberal, all they say, the only things they have to say is, well, the carbon tax encourages people and companies to conserve fuel usage. They've already been doing that for years already. Trudeau was supposed to have the annual deficit gone and a balanced budget. He hasn't done that. Alexis from Toronto called to say she's familiar with phone scams. It's been uh, at least three times I've received this call. You never get the beginning of the call, and it, it, you get the feeling uh, or the, the end of it if, sort of uh, as it, it goes on. You get the feeling it's something to do with the court, and it says you need to... Um, Call us immediately or wait on the phone and we will put you through to a police officer um, because, of, and it sounds like it charges or something to that effect that they're talking about. And, um, of course, I always hang up at that point because I realize it's a scam. But it does sound very much like it is being, like a, I don't know whether it's the court or the police station is calling 
to let you know you need to speak to a police officer because these charges are pending. And if you don't speak to a police officer, it will be proceeding to a court case. That's the kind of feeling that you get from the call. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Rick in Etobicoke, who claims to know firsthand as a truck driver the way construction projects work around Young and Eglinton, where a woman was killed this week by a cement truck. The government itself, the MTO, they're not using their power. There's, I can name you right now five concrete companies that are, drivers are working 20 hours a day you're only allowed to drive for 13. They should be going in and auditing their hour books. they got to go and check their wages and see how many hours they're getting paid for. That's number one. And there's five companies. And that accident that happened, that's one of the companies that are scamming, just forcing people to work, a driver like me, to go and work. And if I don't, I don't have a job. Eighty percent of the dump trucks on the road are, are running illegal. And they're paid by the load. And if you don't hustle, you don't have a job. So it starts right from the top. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer. <laughs> 